This is a familiar passage, familiar story, um, but great things in here. John 6, verse 1, we'll read through 15. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. And lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. So Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to even get a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And Jesus said, Well, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, and so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill and told his disciples, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. And when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. And perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. You may be seated. So I want to talk today about when our faith gets tested um, based on this text. So we will see in John chapter 6 two more miracles, two more um, significant things that Jesus says will do. John chapter 2, he turns the water into wine. John 4, he's healed a man's son from 20 miles away. Um, John chapter 5, he heals the paralytic who for 38 years had not walked. And then John 6, there will be the feeding of the 5,000 and also Jesus walking on the water. And so initial thought as we begin this morning is this, if Jesus can do all that, imagine what he can do in our lives. If he has that kind of authority and that kind of power to do these things, what could he do in our midst as well? And I want to start by way of introduction and say, and give us four significant things in regard to this idea that we're going to look at today in the text in regard to the power of Jesus. And so all of us have certain things that we face, they come up, they are difficult things, um, and we wonder, how do we get through this? How, how is this going to um, get fixed? And there are four possibilities that we embrace. And the first one is, we look at things strictly from a man's perspective. How is this going to be possible if I fix this? And this becomes what our issue is a lot of times, is we spend our days putting things in our hands, thinking that we have some kind of power, and if there's anything we've learned over the past five and a half months, it's this, is we are not in control of anything. And so there are a lot of things that we just cannot control, and so therefore we must put those things into the very hands of Jesus. Secondly, there are things that we face that we just kind of give up on and just see it as impossible. There's not going to be a solution to this, and so I'm just going to kind of give up on this. And so so I don't know if there's anything like that in your life. Maybe it's something you've wrestled with or whatever the case may be or somebody that you've prayed for and you wonder, is there ever going to be a solution to this? And you've kinda, we've kind of quit praying and, and, quite, and quit thinking that something is going to come through. 
But I want to say something here before we look at the third aspect. Not everything here on this side of heaven is going to get fixed. Not all things are going to be healed. Some of us are going to continue to live with certain maybe physical things that we are dealing with and they are going to, they are going to remain in our lives. Now this does not mean that they are beyond the power of Christ to be able to do something about those things because nothing is beyond His power. But in God's good sovereignty, and He is always good, He allows certain things to remain and be a part of our lives. And so there are just some things that will remain and they will be things that we face and deal with. And then there's a third one in regard to things that we deal with. And this one's really important. They are things that we have to come to a place that we learn to be content with these things. Now, the Apostle Paul teaches us this. So twice, Paul, in two of his letters, addresses this issue of things that we face, things that we are stuck in, and there doesn't seem to be a solution. So what do we learn from those moments? Well, in Philippians chapter 4, Paul is in a Roman cell, and he's writing to the church in Philippi, and he's telling this, I have come to an understanding of something, and what I've come to understand is this, is I have learned contentment in my life. When I've got a lot, I'm content, and when everything's been taken away from me, then I have learned contentment, and I've learned it in this way, not in my power. I have learned contentment in the power of Jesus, and that's why you have to put Philippians 4.13. We love Philippians 4.13, but it has to be connected with 10 through 13. We can find contentment when it's not grounded in our strength, when His strength is moving in us, then there's a contentment that comes in our life. And so Paul says, sometimes you face things, you don't know how you're going to get over them, and you know what? As I said a while ago, sometimes things just remain. And so we learn to be content when it's good, when it's difficult, and when it's median. And then the last thing that Paul learned was this, is that sometimes we plead with God because there's something in our life, and we say, Lord, will you take this away? Lord, Lord, will you take this away? And he says, no, I'm not going to take it away. But Lord, I'm coming again. Will you take this away? Three times Paul pleaded with the Lord about this thorn in his flesh in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and every time God said, no, Paul, I'm not. You're going to have to learn to live with this, but here's what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you something so amazing. I'm going to give you my grace, and my grace is going to be sufficient in the midst of what you're dealing with to just trust me. And so therefore, when Paul, Paul finally said, okay, I'm not going to ask for deliverance from this. I'm going to accept that your grace is sufficient. And then Paul said these, they said these words, and they're so powerful. Now I'm going to boast in my weaknesses because in my weaknesses, the power and the might of God moves in my life. So that's the third one, and here's the fourth one. And it's seeing the obstacles and the things that happen in our lives with great possibilities when they are in the hands of God. With God, all things are possible. So sometimes we pray and pray, and we can continue to pray, and we must pray to believe that with God, all things are possible. And so every one of us has obstacles that come up in our lives. Some of them seem to remain, and sometimes we just want to run Sometimes we want to hide away when they are here or we want to quit and we want to give up. But I want to encourage us this morning to see these things that come into our lives in a way that Jesus does and what he teaches us here. With God, all things 
are possible. Nothing is too hard for him. Listen to several places. Jeremiah 32, 7. All Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Jeremiah 32, 30, 20, 32, 26. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? And then Jesus is having a conversation in Luke chapter 18 and 25 and 26. And it says this, For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard Jesus say this said, Well, then who can be saved? And Jesus said, What is impossible with man is what? It's possible with God. So with God, there's these endless possibilities of things. And so our text this morning that we just read is going to allow us to see Jesus in a unique way today, but also to see, secondly, have this perspective of how spiritual and physical needs are met through the hand of Christ. And so let me just say this. That's the introduction, but let me give a commercial. We have heard the feeding of the 5,000 since we were little kids. So the danger this morning is, oh, yeah, I got that text. Remember we talked about that a couple weeks ago? There's a danger to spiritual pride, to thinking that we've mastered all of these stories and the spiritual principles in them. So would you right now just say a quick prayer that you haven't mastered the feeding of the 5,000 principles and that we need to be open this morning to maybe seeing this in a unique way. Okay, did you pray that? I hope you prayed it. All right, let's get into it. So let's talk about the scene and the setting. This is the scene and the setting is, it's at the lake, it's the, um, the Sea of Galilee, this large freshwater lake that's there in Israel. It's at the time of the Passover. Thousands upon thousands of people are everywhere. The Sea of Galilee is 13 miles from bottom to top. It's eight miles wide. It was a huge... Um, source of food um, for Israel, and so that's the scene and the setting. Jesus is going to go up on the mountain, and he's going to pause, and he's going to go up there, and he's going to begin to teach and invest, and something incredibly significant is going to happen. So that is the scene and the setting. It's the lake of the Sea of Galilee, this great lake, and also it's at the time of the Passover. Look with me in verse 2, and I want to talk about the motivation of our following Jesus. So look what, look what John is specifically telling us. So at the beginning of John chapter 6, he's going to tell us why people are following. At the very end of John chapter 6, you know what's going to happen? All of these people are following. They're going to walk away. So he's setting it up. All these people are really, really excited. And then halfway through and all through John chapter 6, Jesus is going to refine the call of what it means to be a disciple. You've got to eat of my flesh, drink of my blood. And the people are just like, what? wait, wait, wait a minute. You're the bread of heaven. And they're going, to, they're going to hear this. They're going to say, this is a hard teaching. We don't like the words. And they turn away. And so in the beginning, everybody's excited. At the end, people walk away. And so, so here's the motivation. They are, look at two, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. And so here we are in verse 2. All of this momentum, all of this excitement is just taking place all over Israel. Jesus has been going through their towns and their villages. He's been healing the sick. He's been preaching. Word is out on this guy. Now they hear he's headed By the Sea of Galilee, he's headed into Jerusalem for the Passover. Thousands of people are headed that way as well. 
and, and they are following him because there's an incredible excitement in regard to the miracles that Jesus is doing. And I'll tell you this, you want to grow a spiritual crowd, you will quickly grow a spiritual crowd when there are healing and supernatural things that are happening. And this is, this is what is happening in the text. So Jesus is doing these supernatural things, and all these people are gathering around, but they are following. John wants us to know, because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. And I want to ask everybody in the room this morning a very honest question. Why are you here this morning? Why did you get up and come here this morning? And probably, like our text, and probably like this room, there are a wide variety of things as to why we got up this morning and came in here. And the good news is, if you came for the wrong reason, because you think if you came that... that, that um, you would get some brownie points with God if you came for the wrong reason. You know what he does sometimes? Even people who come for the wrong reason, he will step into their life and he will transform their life. Carrie Bear shared with me in the first service. She said, that was me. I came, I came to church, not because I wanted to know God, but I thought, I'm going to take my kids to church. And so she started bringing her kids to church. It's a good motivation, but she didn't want to know God. That wasn't why, but you know what? God met her. He transformed her life, and she came to, to know him. So maybe you're here today, and you've come because, oh, this pleases my parent, this pleases my spouse, and, and your heart's not in it, and you're wondering when I'm going to be done. It, a couple hours from now, I will be done. Okay, and then you can get on with the rest of your life today. And you may have come with the wrong motivation today, but I can tell you one of the greatest things is happening right now is the sovereign Lord of the universe is in this room today. We have come to gather in His name and He can change you e even though you're, you came today with the wrong-hearted reason. So listen to this. So all these people are following because of the signs that he was doing. Now this word signs doesn't just mean miracle. It was to point to the one who was doing the miracles. And so the people should have been saying to one another, this is the Son of God. This is the Messiah who has come into the world. And so all of this incredible excitement is happening in regard to Jesus. But they're not. It doesn't. John is specific here. They're not recognizing Jesus as the Son of God. He's just doing awesome stuff. And it's really cool to follow him around and watch the things that they are doing. And I believe, sadly, it's becoming more and more rare today for a pure-hearted wanting to know God and wanting to know Christ without, without just always wanting him to do something, just wanting his hand. And, and, and I think for us, it's so important that we know that he's going to bless us by his hand. But we become the kind of people that we just want Him. And whether not anything else comes from His hand, by the way, it will continue to come from His hand. But we become the kind of people that we are content with what He has done. And so nothing can foster, as I said a while ago, a following like a healing ministry. Everybody wants healing. And it becomes, sadly, one of the most marketable things connected to faith. You can go home today and watch Christian television and see the marketing that is connected with that. And later, Jesus is going to accuse them that you didn't really want to know me. You just like that I gave you bread. And they're going to want him to be a bread king, a baker, uh, to provide for them. And so they had come for miracles, watch, that would last a lifetime. 
then it would be awesome. But if they didn't come to know Christ as the Son of God, they would be separated from Him for all of eternity. And so it's important for us to do social ministry, feed people, clothe people, provide water. All of those things are incredibly important. But if we don't give people the gospel, then they they just have a satisfied earthly thirst and they never know God. And so the people have this wrong motivation and Jesus is going to fight against them to learn exactly who he is. And there will, I, I know this to be true. There will always be people in and around Christianity in the church wanting from God instead of just wanting God for who He is. And I believe that God is always interested in the people that just passionately want Him and that long for Him. And so I wonder today, before we move to point three, what does He see in this room this morning? What does He see? Why have we come? Why are we following? What does he see in our heart while we are here? And what would it look like if we became the kind of people that just wanted him more than anything? Let's look at the third thing. Look at verse 3. So this great mass of people are following Jesus because of all the signs that he's doing. And Jesus does something very unique here. He went up on the mountain, verse 3 says... And there he sat down with his disciples. So in light of the crowds and knowing what was in the hearts of the people and why they were following him, instead of cultivating the momentum for greater gain to market what he's doing, Jesus just withdraws and he sits down on the mountain with these men that he's called out to be his followers. They're going to be the ones who are investing in the world when he ascends into heaven. And this is a great leadership principle. And we need to hear it today. Everybody needs to hear this today. Jesus modeled this for us. Our culture says bigger and bigger and bigger is an estimation and means better. And that's not always the case. It can can mean that God is really doing something. But I want you to notice what Jesus does here. At the very end of verse 15... It's about 20,000 people probably that were fed that day and they wanted to take Jesus and usher him to be king. And he's like, I'm not into what you, the crowds, want to do. Jesus, watch what he says. Look what he does here. He didn't capitalize on the moment, but he withdrew and he invested in 12 men. And he continued to pour his heart into them. And so instead of, let's just make sure this is bigger and bigger and bigger, because that means better, Jesus said, no, better is knowing the truth of the word. And so he withdraws, teaches, the sits down with his disciples and teaches them. And, 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 and I just want to encourage us, parents, invest in your kids. Teach the scripture to your children, brothers and sisters, talk about the scripture together husbands and wives talk about the scripture together walk through the scripture together and 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 disciple one another practice these things of learning the truths of jesus and while the disciples all of their motivation was not completely pure at this moment they were still trying to figure out all of this i think jesus knew this he knew that they loved him And they were growing more in their love. And he loved investing his life in them. And the point is this. Be and practice discipling 
other people. Practice investing our lives in other people. And so Jesus doesn't capitalize on the large crowd, but he invests in this moment by withdrawing to the disciples. Here's the fourth thing I want us to see this morning in verses 4 and 5. We must see the hunger that dominates the people of our day. So look at 4 and 5. So now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand, and lifting up his eyes then, he's sitting with the disciples up on the hillside, and a large crowd was coming toward him. Jesus said to Philip, he turns to Philip, one of the twelve, and he says, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Let me tell you how far where we are in in John chapter 6. We're one year away from Jesus being on the cross. At the next Passover, Jesus will die. Um, We will be... Once we get to chapter 7, we will be six months away in chapter 7 from this. And so things are speeding up uh, to his death on the cross. And so sitting up on on the hillside on the mountain there, they saw this mass of people coming. Bright clothing, dust in the air, noise rumbling far away, getting louder and louder and louder. They're coming up the hill. They are gathering around Jesus there. He's been teaching pouring his heart out. He knows that the people that are coming to him are physically going to be hungry and spiritually he knows that they are going to be hungry. It is a scene of tremendous proportions of all this mass. People carrying family members who are blind. People carrying sick family members. People carrying the cripple to meet Jesus because they know that this man, hopefully he's going to be at Jerusalem. Now they're in luck. He's at the Sea of Galilee and they can right now bring their family member or their friend to him to touch them for healing. And so all of these people are coming and he stops and as he's discipling, he turns to one guy, Philip, and he says, hey, Philip, What are we going to do about this? And he wants them to see that we must, as God's people, see the hunger and the desperation that fills the lives of people who do not know the Lord. Let me give you three brief things here that I think are important. The scene gives us a unique perspective. We need to see the spiritual longing of people around us. It was Passover. What happened at Passover? Well, the original Passover, they were in Egypt under the heavy hand of Pharaoh, making bricks. Moses had come through a series of plagues, trying to get Pharaoh's attention. Pharaoh's heart continues to get hard, and there's one last thing that God's going to do. And he delivers them from the hand of the Egyptians at the Passover. Every year, they would get this excitement. Would God do this again? So now they're under the heavy hand of Rome. Would he deliver like he did in days past? Now this guy's come, this prophet, this man, this healer. He's doing all these things. He's an incredible teacher. Could this be the one who's going to deliver us? And so they're following because of the miracles, and they've got all this mixed emotion that's there. And here's, here's what we understand. <clears throat> I've done t- tons of research trying to figure out, okay, wh- where do we kind of settle in on this? It says 5,000 men, and so over the last, you know, 2,000 years, people are trying to figure out, well, how many, if it's just 5,000 men, how many people are there? And a safe estimate is probably anywhere from 8,000 to 20,000, and many people believe upwards to 20,000 people were gathered that day. If you want to know how many people that might be, think of the American Airlines Center, where the Dallas Mavericks play, and picture that, full of people, every seat, every seat, no concession stands, 
no food trucks outside, just a mass of people in the building, spiritually hungry. Jesus is in the middle of that setting, healing, teaching, meeting the needs of people, and they are hungry. Just, just keep that in your mind with what we were doing because that's the scene on this hillside surrounding Jesus, upwards to 20,000 people. And there's a longing of the people. Is this man going to free us? Secondly, so we've got to see the spiritual longing of people. We've got to see the crowds, and we've got to know their needs. See, Jesus knew their needs. You know why he knew their needs? Because Matthew 9 tells us that he went through all the towns and villages teaching and preaching in their synagogues. He'd already spent time with a lot of these people. He'd heard their stories. He knew the pain. He knew the uncertainty. He knew the heavy burdens that they were carrying. And you and I as God's people need to look at the mass of crowds in our country today who do not know the Lord and know that they have great, great needs. Boy, you can hear it. Listen when you go to the grocery store if you can hear the muffled sounds underneath the mass. As you meet people out in our city, as you listen to the television, as you read things, listen to the hungry hearts of people longing for some kind of normalcy to come again. And hope to be restored again because everything has been turned upside down. And so, so for us, we need to know our culture and the brokenness and the longing that's there in the hearts of people. And so there is a longing in people's lives. You and I need to be connected to it as God's people and know their needs and desire to meet those needs. And here's where we are today when it begins to be very personal. You know what God does in these days, and I think he's challenging the church, is he's going to stretch us. And he turns to Philip with this, think about it, 20,000 people are coming to 13 people up on the hillside. Jesus has been teaching. 20,000 people coming, and Jesus turns to one of the 12, and he says, hey, Philip, what are we going to do about all of those people? How, How are we going to address this? And if I'm Philip, I would have done like this in my head, or I may have even said it out loud. Why did you ask me that? Peter always wants to talk. Why don't you ask Peter that question? He would easily, quickly give you an answer to that. And so he turns to Philip and says, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Jesus, ever the discipler, stretching Philip in this moment, utilizing a great teaching moment, just calls him right on the spot to say, Philip, what what are we going to do about this? Listen, church, we have seen in all of our lives the move of God in our lives, in our salvation, in our sanctification, in our families' lives. You know what Philip had seen? He had seen Jesus raise the dead. Philip had seen the blind see. And so when Jesus turns to him to say, Hey, what are we going to do about this? Philip immediately goes to what I talked about a while ago. Okay, what, what am I, Philip, going to do? Philip should have recognized, I can't do any. I, Philip, cannot do anything about this. Philip should have immediately said, you're asking me. You're the one who raises the dead. I'm looking to you. Here's my answer, Jesus. It's not me. It's not money. It's not, can we find some food? 
Jesus, I'm looking to you because only you can address the situation that is before us. And so, so let's talk about that now. Fifth point, let's talk about the testing of our faith. I love what it says there. So he said to Philip, where do we buy bread so that these people may eat? And verse 6 says, he said this to test him. Watch the next, ver- next words. For he, Jesus, already knew himself what he was going to do. So he turns to Philip and says, what are we going to do about this? And now we already know that Jesus is keenly aware of what is going to take place on this day. For he is not making this up as he goes along. He knows exactly what he is going to do. Exactly. By the way, he knows every situation, every circumstance in our lives. Every one of them, he is intimately acquainted with it. And just as he knew on this day exactly what he would do with an overwhelming task before them, in your family's life, in your life, with your health, with your finances, if we will trust in him, he, by the way, is already at the solution. He is the solution. He is already several steps ahead, knowing exactly what he is going to do. Now, I've said this in these days, but I just want to repeat it again because we have got to get it in our heads. There's a longing in our country, and I have it as well, to go back to pre-March 12th days. I'd love to go back to those days. We're not. March 11th, 2020 is behind us. So what does the future hold? I have no idea. It's craziness. Just read the stuff up there. Who knows what's going to happen? But this is what I know, and this is where I stand. My God is already on the other side of this. And he already knows what he's going to do on the other side of this. So should we panic? No. What should we do? We don't try to figure out our resources. We look back at the resource, and we affirm who he is, You are God. You're the God who's alive. You're the God who's everlasting. And I'm looking to you to be the answer. And you are the answer to whatever is next. I don't know if you noticed what I said earlier. And I want to say it again. God is sovereignly good. So whatever's coming is good. Yeah, but what if it doesn't go the way we want it? to go um we don't want a man-centered world like that where it goes the way we want it to go we want a god-centered world that he is leading to his ultimate purposes and we need to trust in him so the testing of our faith is going to come and i believe just personal belief and you can disagree with me But I believe for the first time ever in the history of this nation in the days ahead, I think we Christians, we Christ followers, are going to be really challenged by our faith. It would not surprise me in the weeks ahead if the state of California tries to arrest John MacArthur for preaching the gospel in the state. Their government's angry at him because they're preaching and they're not going to shut down. 
And by the way, we're not shutting down either. I'm going to be standing here every Sunday until I, I can't stand here anymore. We're not shutting down the church again. There comes a point in time with God's people where we have to move beyond fear and we have to move to fully embracing biblical Christianity. And the government can say, you know, it's, it's amazing how we have applauded the Chinese church for all these years, that they just meet and their government hates them and they meet in secret. And our government said, don't meet, and we just gave in. And I just want to say to us, in the trusting, trying days that I do think are going to come, I don't know what it's going to look like. I think there's going to be more and more challenges to what we're doing. And I just want to say to you and I, there will always be a group of people that uniquely love God and will take a stand. And are we going to be among those? Or are we going to give in? And you know, Jesus told the twelve, you're going to be arrested, you're going to stand before kings, and you're not going to know what to say, and the Holy Spirit's going to give you words in that moment to speak. And I think how good that would be for us to, to be at those moments of what do we do? And we have, to, we have to not rely on all the things we've learned, but in that moment we have to go, I cannot, I don't even know what to do. And so Holy Spirit, will you take over? And will you say what needs to be said in these moments? See, God is honored by great faith. He has always been honored by great faith. And this is such an incredible lesson for us in the text today. I love what it says. Look what it says. He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Tests are designed by God in our lives, are come to us, and they're not sent without a solution. They come with a solution already that God knows, and it's for us to trust in him in those moments. And so Philip should have just turned to Jesus to say, I, Philip's, a, Philip's an accountant. He got his laptop out and pulled up Excel and got his spreadsheet out. and blah, 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 blah. Oh, Jesus, man, it's going to take almost a year's man's wage to do this. Judas, you're the money bag man. Do we have enough money? Judas looks in the bag. No, we don't have enough money for this. We don't have a year's worth of wage. And Philip should have just said, Jesus, you're the resource to meet the need. You are the resource. And it had slipped in that moment his mind. Listen, church, you're going to hear this in the days ahead, particularly in this election year, but if if you're not in tune with what's going on, there is a growing Marxist mindset that is dominating America. Politics, Churches, Marxist, it's atheist, Marxism is. And we need to be aware. And the best way to be aware and the best way to be prepared is to know this. To know the truth. Because the truth doesn't enslave. What does the truth do? It frees. It frees. So let's look at the next one. Here's the great danger. So Philip answers, 200 denarii and seven 
worth of bread cannot be enough for each of them to get a little. And then one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, Well, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? For so many. There's a danger in difficult days. And here it is that we don't see Jesus as the answer. We see other things as the answer. So Philip's banking on money. How do we get enough money? Andrew's like, well, I found some food. We got a little entrepreneurial boy here. He's brought some food. He's the only one who thought ahead this day, and he's brought a sack lunch. But what is this, Jesus, among 20,000 people? And here's the reality for all of us today. We will either see the situation and be overwhelmed, or we will see Jesus as the solution. It's a situation mindset or a solution mindset. So Philip gives a spreadsheet answer. And he can't go beyond what he sees right in front of him. And here's Andrew. Andrew's like, we don't have enough in the pantry. There's not enough in the bank account. What in the world are we going to do about that? Everything seems to be bare at the moment. And I think always in our lives, our faith needs a little bit of stretching and working out to become strong. We must learn to see beyond the situation to see that God is greater than the situation. And sometimes we get caught up in these moments what just seems to be so many things against us, and what's the solution? How do we get out of this? Instead of seeing the possibilities that when something is placed in the hands of Jesus, then he can really do something. And so, here we are. They have this great danger of seeing other things as a solution. Well, we can't meet the need because we don't have enough money. We can't meet the need because the food that we actually do have is not enough. And the right response would have been, I'm looking to you, Jesus, to the answer to this need. This is way beyond us. You have the answer, I believe you. Andrew went looking for some groceries, and he found a little boy. And he had a sack with him. And I think sometimes we just lose things in the moment where we forget about that, watch this, God uses the common things in the world to do unbelievable, massive work. So little boy, earlier that day, got him some fish. I got smoked salmon in mine. I'm going to try some of that later. And he had five pieces of bread, and he had some fish. And Andrew comes to him, and, and he finds this little guy. And Andrew, 20,000 people, is walking around everywhere. And he's, one little boy has got something, and, and, and he just gives it to Andrew. You ever tried to take something from a young boy? You ever tried to take their food, their meal? And I love the beauty of this little boy, and we'll talk about him here in just a moment. But I just want to say this to us. There is a danger for our church. There is a danger for your life. There is a danger for your family. If our hope is in an election. If our hope is in a bank account. If our hope is in a vaccine. And I hope all of those things turn out to our benefit the way we want them to. But that's a very Western mindset. 
See, our Christianity has been very unique. Our friends in Nepal don't think like we do about government. They're just oppressed. It's been that way their whole life. It's going to continue to be that way for the rest of their lives. And so the challenge for us is to not just see the world through a Western mindset that things should just go easy for us. No, that is not, it's not the reality for most Christians throughout the history of the world. It's been very difficult for them. America has been uniquely, uniquely blessed. And I'm so thankful, so thankful for our country. I hope you are as well. But listen, church, Jesus is the answer. Jesus Christ is the answer that we are longing for, that our lost neighbors are longing for, that our government needs. Our government needs Jesus Christ. That is the hope. So that's where we stand. That's where we turn. We have a vote, and I hope you vote in November. We have a vote. We get individually one vote. But the big election is too big for us to determine the outcome. So what do we do with the big election? We place it, and this is the next point, we place everything in the hands of Jesus, not in man's hands. And so... Are you and I willing to give, willing to give what we have and place it in the hands of Jesus? So Andrew finds a little boy. Hey, can I have your lunch? Watch. The appearance there is, he doesn't go, no, mine. The appearance there is, One of Jesus' followers wants this, and so here. And there's a beauty in this. Watch this, church. We're about done. Watch this. He gives, I think, his lunch to Andrew, not because an adult is asking for his lunch. I think he gives his lunch to this adult because he, you know, children are really spiritually in tune at times and really deep in their simplicity and deep trusting faith. I think he knew this. This isn't my lunch anyway. It's God's. And he gives it up. And I think the principle that we learn from the little boy is amazing. The houses we live in, the cars that we drive, the jobs that we have, the resumes that we have, the money in our bank account, the money not in our bank account, It's been given to us by whom? God. And so with our money, he says, I give you 100%. You have that job because I'm allowing you to have that job, this income that you're making, and I'm asking you to trust me and give back 10% of what's mine anyway. Is that because God needs our money? Absolutely not. The church needs your money, but God doesn't. Because the church needs to run and operate its businesses. And are we going to be the kind of people who are willing to give, watch, and then not have? Just willing to give it and have empty hands and trust Him with our lives. Well, the little boy does that. 
And when things are in Jesus' hands, he does something incredible. He tells everybody to sit down. So they all sit down. And it says they sit down. I love what it says here. Now, there was much grass in the place. When I read that, I, my mind echoed back to Psalm chapter 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Just a beautiful little picture here. They sit down in green grass. He provides for them. He takes the bread in his hands. He takes the fish and he breaks them into pieces. He gets them into the usable form. He gives them to the 12 disciples. And can you imagine how long it took to walk around to about 20,000 people and hand out fish and bread? And when it was all over, those baskets, miracle of miracles, those baskets never got empty. Just multiplied, multiplied. People reached in, got what they needed. And did you notice what it said a while ago? They ate until they were full. And when it was all over, you've got... You've got men who couldn't see a solution now holding basketfuls individually, 12 basketfuls full of all this, communicating to them, you're not, you're not the answer to meeting the needs of people, but you are the vessels that God is going to use to meet the needs of people. And that's us today. We are not the hope of the world. Jesus is, but He wants to use us as vessels to meet the needs of of the brokenness and confusion in our world today. And, and here's the eighth thing. Put everything in the hands of Jesus. And when they are in the hands of Jesus, then Jesus can do incredibly powerful, unique things in our lives. And the last thing I want to see this morning is 14 and 15. And where we'll finish. So when the people saw that the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. But their motives are still wrong. And 15 says, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. If Jesus would have been about earthly power as the answer, then he would have just said, let's, let's go to Jerusalem, let's march, let's go. All of us, let's just, let's just go. But he wasn't about a political power grab. He wasn't about coming to overthrow Rome. And I tell you, having 20,000 people marching with you would be a force coming into Jerusalem. But he was not going to be a revolutionary who established a kingdom of the earth, he was going to establish a spiritual kingdom to rescue the hearts of people. And God's design was not that Jesus manifest himself in that way, but he would be a suffering servant. A year from this moment, he will die as at the Passover. And I want to remind you and I today is that Jesus takes hopeless situations and he turns them into scenes of hope. Jesus takes question marks in our lives. What's the answer to this? And he makes them exclamation points when he works. Jesus not only meets needs, but he supplies more than enough. And so God, through Jesus, provides more than is adequate for all of our needs in this room today. And we don't need huge things. A slingshot took down Goliath. A servant girl's word to Naaman to go to the prophet 
and speak with the prophet, and he could tell the prophet how Naaman could tell Naaman how to be healed. They were cleaning up the temple when Josiah was king, and they found the scroll, which we believe is Deuteronomy, it had been lost because jo- Josiah's father and grandfather had so neglected the temple and the worship of God that the Bible had been lost. And as they're cleaning up the temple, they find Deuteronomy. They go in and they read Deuteronomy to Josiah and he rips his clothes and tears them and, and mourns in sackcloth, sackcloth and ashes and a great revival takes place in the cleaning up. It's not, listen, people get so hung up on if, we, if celebrity could come to Christ, then boy, that would just be so influential. No. How about you and I waking up to the gospel? How about we start there and seeing what God might do in Collin County? A little boy that day said, This is in my hands. Jesus, you can have it. Now my hands are empty. And watch. From the emptiness of his hands. Jesus fed 20,000 people. And we can do this. We can go, no, mine, 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 mine. We can do that. And all we're going to get is earth. But when we're willing to give back to him and say, I give back, I, my hands are free. I give back to what was already you. Then we become the kind of people to be used as vessels for God to do a great work. So I don't know if you saw anything new in the story that we're so familiar with, but I think this is really challenging today to be like the little boy, to just be willing to give it up. So are we? Are we willing to give it up and to place everything into his hands? Empty-handed I come to the good and gracious King who loves me and cares for us. Let's pray.